when you stand up for God and your nation, remember you are not alone. Join Gloria Copeland and Billy Brim today on the Believer's Voice of Victory as they reveal how God's mighty power in you will be revealed through you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Believer's Voice of Victory. We have Billy Brim again today to tell us about the revival, the fire of God, the glory of God that's going to be manifest and even is beginning, I believe, oh, yes. in these days. Welcome, Billy. Gloria, I'm so tickled. I know it. You I'm tickled really me. I'm really tickled, and I tickled you. Yeah. Because I found, when I'm preparing for teaching on the Great Awakening, I found a letter that I wrote to my partners in May, June 2009. I just found it down at your house while I'm preparing. And there it tells that on April 15th, 2009, Kenneth Copeland was taping a BVOV television broadcast with David Bart which was going to be aired in July. Suddenly, as the Holy Ghost came upon him, Brother Copeland stopped teaching, put his hand on his chest, and prophesied, prophesied about a coming great awakening. Praise God. I've been reading the words to you every day, but when I just now watched this, they played it for me, and you, I didn't come near getting the impact of it. You watch it now. So we're going to get to see it again. Mm -hmm. This is the time that has been prophesied about. And at stake here is not only your welfare in the land, but also my move in the end times of a great mm -hmm. awakening, saith the Lord. And it is that awakening that will save this land and others like it for it is the time of the coming of the Lord and you will rise up and you will be my name and you will be my power and I will manifest myself through you and many shall come and say, surely he is the God of all good. Gloria, what a powerful preacher your husband is. Praise and what God. a powerful prophecy he just gave. Melissa. And how it calls wow. all of us to cooperate with God in praying in and believing for a great awakening. Yes, yes, See, it's yes, prophesied. Lord. Ken prophesied it. Now it takes the part of prayer. And we've had some of this, but uh, we, we studied yesterday about the first great awakening out, out of which America was born. And that amazing preacher, George Whitfield, who rode night yeah. and day. I read about one time he rode 60 miles by horseback when he was sick and preached when he came to the end of it. And then other times he'd ride and preach along the way. And I found this uh, statistic in here uh, about how many times he preached. Whitfield preached more than 18,000 sermons between oh, 1736 mercy. and 1770, riding by horseback and canoe to get there. Wow. And wow, this wow. I found in the book Unto a Good Land uh, by David Edwin Harold Jr. and a team of historians. He writes, To be sure, Whitfield did not do it alone, though it is worth noting that the first individual to bring some degree of unity to the colonies was not a politician, but a preacher. Praise God. Isn't Hallelujah, that awesome? one nation under God. So wow. the preachers, we're preachers, Gloria. I know that. We're little girl <laughs> preachers, woman preachers. Bless the Lord. But we're preachers. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Oh, uh, yeah. At Whitfield's death, uh, the new day would soon break across the nation. His dream had come true. America was a nation, one nation under God. Praise God. And one nation under God, uh, this was the political, political as well as the spiritual legacy of the Great Awakening. Whitfield preached unity in the church and unity in the colonies mm. and equality of believers. As the equality of believers uh, was emphasized more and more, it was only natural that it would extend to the civil government as well. I thought this was quite a statement that I read. It is difficult, and this was from The Light and the Glory, which was written in 1977, it is difficult with 10 generations of representative government behind us, now we've got more, how radical were the words of the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. It was radical thinking. You know, they'd had in England, they'd had the, the ruling royalty, and then they'd had the low-class serfs, you know. And then here comes a preacher preaching that all men are created equal. It gets into the sermons hmm. of the preachers of the day. We, we don't realize without some thought no. about how wild that was. That was radical. Radical, yes. Radical, radical, radical. He preached it. And they had slavery, and he preached it to the slaves. He preached it to the slave owners. Praise God. Whitfield. Mm -hmm. uh, he did not preach separation from England, uh, but his, his preaching uh, preached equality, and it preached uh, unity, preached to blacks, Native Americans, Anglicans, Quakers, Methodists, all of them, Presbyterians. And he, he preached always to, to establish one nation under God, which would be a light to the whole world. Now, then, of course, there came all these uh, acts against the colonists. You know the history. You know how King George and his tyranny, how he put tariff after tariff, tax after tax, the Stamp Act, the Boston Tea uh, Party, and he put so much on the colonists, and now the colonists are uniting because they have, they have united after the preachers have preached uniting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, so united we stand, united we fall, and they began to rebel. You know, they dress all up like Indians and threw all the tea into the harbor in, in Boston. And the preachers were in on this from the very beginning. New England's ministers were behind it. Uh, I'm going to read to you from uh, The Blood and the Glory now in 300, page 320. Uh, bless the Lord. The light and the glory. The light. Oh, I put the blood in the glory. I said the blood in the glory. That's my book. I wrote the blood in the glory. This one is The Light in the Glory by David Manuel, and it's by... Uh, Hallelujah. As usual, when all of these things happen, all the tariffs, all the taxes... American opinion on this mounting crisis was largely shaped by the ministers. These men of God who were American-born and not in crown colonies were becoming nearly unanimous in their support of resistance. Thanks to the Great Awakening, there was now a whole new generation of committed clergy mm -hmm. salted throughout America. Many of the ministers of considerable spiritual depth and maturity, as the list of what they called intolerable acts by England 
mounted. So did the remonstrations against them. Almost as if the ministers had George III in their front row of their congregations <laughs> and were trying to make him see the error of his ways, they preached. The ministers. Many of their sermons were duly printed in town newspapers, and if the king saw them, he paid no attention. Hmm. Like Pharaoh, to whom many sermons likened him, they preached as if he were saved. Pharaoh, his heart was hardened and growing harder. And so these provocations began to happen, and the ministers took up the cause. I went on a tour, a patriotic tour, um, with uh, David. Uh, that was on the television program, Barton, with Brother Copeland and Jim Garlow. It was a Patriots tour. It's one of the highlights of my life. Wow. And uh, we took it through all the historic parts of New England, uh, where George Washington crossed the Delaware, the Tenants Church, uh, George Whitfield's place. Uh, I think it was Bra Grave we went to. And we ended up in Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July, watching from a boat the fireworks on mm. the Potomac. Oh, what a memorable time it was for me. And one of my most uh, memorable parts of it was um, going to the place where the war started, the Revolutionary War, when we went to the uh, Lexington Green. And I'm going to read you this. And it involved a minister and his home. Uh, the beginning of the War of Independence. This is coming from Pilgrims and Patriots by Eddie Hyatt. We went to this spot, Gloria. I stood there where this happened. And just a few blocks down the street was Reverend Jonas Clark's house. Hmm. And when the British came in, they were after two men. And they knew they were taking, they were hiding in that preacher's house. And they were, you'll find out who the two men were. And they also wanted to get a, an ammunition depot. On April 18, 1775, John Adams and John Hancock. You remember John Hancock who signed the Declaration yeah, of Independence yeah. so big? Prominent New England leaders in the protest were in the home of Reverend Jonas Clark in the area of Lexington, Massachusetts, about 15 miles from Boston. Lexington had become a center of protest with the people forming militia and they had an ammunition, ammunition depot uh, nearby in Concord. General Gage, the British general stationed in Boston, heard of these activities and decided to put an end to the rebellion before it started. That same night, April 18, Gage sent out a detachment of about 800 soldiers headed for Reverend Jonas Clark House, where he was going to arrest Adams and Hancock and capture the ammunition depot. But that same night, there came a midnight ride of Paul Revere. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that something? Paul Revere made his famous ride through the countryside from Boston, Boston, Massachusetts to Lexington. As he rode, he shouted along the way, the redcoats are coming. The redcoats are coming. This deprived the British of their element of mm. surprise. Mm. When the British arrived at Lexington, the local militia made up mostly of farmers, known as Minutemen. Now you think about it, Gloria. Britain is the superpower of the day. These are little, uh, these are little, well, you know what it says right here? They just told me that it was Samuel Adams, but in this book it says it was John Adams. 
So bless the Lord. I'm going to go with the book until I look into another place. And so he shouted, the redcoats are coming, the redcoats are coming. And when the British arrived, there were these farmers, known as Minutemen, ready and waiting. When they, when they went to lay down their arms, and all but, here it does say Samuel Adams and John Hancock would be forgiven. So I guess uh, some of them were in on it. John was in on it. Samuel was in on it. But it was Samuel Adams and John Adams would be forgiven. The Minutemen, however, refused to yield. The Minutemen were determined not to fire first. They didn't want to be the aggressors. During the standoff, however, a shot rang out. Nobody knows. No one would admit that they fired the first shot. But it was later called uh, the shot that fired and was heard around, around the world, the world. Mm-hmm. and started the Revolutionary War. Uh, at the end, nine Minutemen were dead and ten more seriously wounded. Uh, there was a fight then that went... Um, went on after that as they went down the roads and the Minutemen were hiding and they learned to fight like the Indians and the British were fighting like the Redcoats. And, and this, the shot heard round the world marked the beginning of the Revolutionary War in 1775 to 1783. But before the first shot was fired in Lexington, Reverend Clark made a strategic declaration. It was spontaneous to Major Pitcairn's demand to the Minutemen. Disperse ye villains, lay down your arms in the name of George, the sovereign king of England. Reverend Clark shouted out, We recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. That cry, no king but Jesus, caught the imagination Mm. of the American patriots everywhere. And soon it was heard throughout the colonies. Mm. No king but Jesus. That's good, isn't it? Now, the preachers, as this Revolutionary War developed, they fought as well as preached. On the same day as the battles of Lexington and Concord, Chelsea's minister, Phillips Payson, led a band of men from from his church, his congregation. And that was the thing, as we were standing there on this green, uh, they were showing how the, the, the people showed up with their congregations, the preachers with their congregations. And this, uh, this uh, Phillips Payson uh, from Chelsea, he led a band of men from his church and captured two British supply wagons. Can you imagine saying, well, what is your church's outreach? Well, we captured two <laughs> British supply wagons. Stephen Farrar of New Ipswich, uh, New Hampshire, brought 37 men from his church to the army assembling at Boston. David Avery of Windsor, Vermont, started his march with 27 men, but his preaching along the way collected many more. John Craighead raised a a company of militia from his parish and led them to join Washington in New Jersey, where it was recorded that he fought and preached alternately along the way. (laughs) So... Uh, Good for him. These came came to be known. uh, Very interesting... Um, bless the Lord, so numerous in fact, I'm reading from the light and the glory, were the fighting pastors that the Tories, those who were, you know, favorable to staying in the British, with the British government, began to refer to them as the black-robed regiment. Regiment, They wore their black robes and they stood up in those black robes and they preached in their pulpits for what they believed. And the Tories, referring to them as the Black-Robed Regiment, blaming them 
for much of the resurging zeal of the colonial troops. One of the most colorful examples is what happened in a staid Lutheran church in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia one Sunday morning in 1775. The 30-year-old pastor, Peter Muhlenberg, delivered a rousing sermon on the text, quote, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, from Ecclesiastes 3.1. Reaching the end of his sermon, he said a solemn prayer and continued to speak. In the language of the Holy Writ, there is a time for all things. There is a time to preach and a time to fight. He paused then and threw off his black robe, his pulpit robe, to reveal the uniform of a colonel in the colonial army, continental army. And now is the time to fight, he thundered, followed by his cry, roll the drums for recruits. The drums rolled, and that afternoon he marched off at the head of a column of 300 men. His regiment was to earn fame as the 8th Virginia, and Muhlenberg was to distinguish himself in a number of battles. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, they stood up there, and they said what they thought and they believed. I remember one time we went to... um, a Glenn Beck rally in Washington, D.C. You went as well. I flew up there with you, and he challenged the preachers uh, to have the guts of the black-robed regiment to stand up for what the Word of God says and for what we believed. And I, I told you the other day that uh, I was invited. You were invited as well. You didn't go, but you were invited. In June, before President Trump was elected to be the president, he he was a candidate. And um, we were invited to a conversation between Donald Trump and Huckabee and Ben Carson, and they had all come out for him. And uh, Donald Trump stood up, and he referred to the Johnson Amendment I don't know if it's an amendment or what it is exactly, but the Johnson, I think the way I understand it, somebody was opposing uh, LBJ, and from their pulpit, they were opposing him, or from their platform where they spoke. And so somehow it became, uh, I don't know, a law or amendment or what it is exactly, that it said that we could not do that, that nobody with a tax-exempt 501c3 could stand up in their pulpits and come out for any one candidate or against any one candidate. And uh, just like a pall uh, fell over everybody, and they were uh, not doing it in certain areas. So Donald Trump stood up and said this. He asked, why is it the preachers, in some cases, in some cases they did it, but in some churches, especially conservative churches, they didn't do it. They didn't stand up there. And someone said to him, well, it's the Johnson thing. And they're afraid they'll lose their 501c3s. Well, he didn't even know what that was. So he looked into what is the 501c3, which is your tax-exempt status. And he said to all of we preachers, 1,000 preachers who were gathered in New York City on that day, don't you know they took your voice away? Yeah. And then he promised he'd do something about it. Now, who said that? Donald Trump, before he became the president, don't you know they took your voice away? What do you think those black robe regiment would think? 
if you got down here to 2016, 2017, now the preachers are not afraid anymore. I mean, I don't know if that Johnson Amendment has been rolled back or hadn't been rolled back, but I could tell you one thing right now. You know, I don't feel constrained anymore that we don't have a voice that we can't say, well, well this is what the Bible says, and mm. this is what we believe. And, and, uh, and so, praise the Lord, we're, we're thankful. Um, I'm, 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 I'm kind of ashamed in a way, you know, that we were kind of, I don't know about everybody, not everybody well, was. Well, we were told that. Yeah, wow. we were told that. Now, here's what I think, too, about that 501c3 uh, tax-exempt status. For people that give to the ministry, you get a tax exemption. We could make it without it, folks. I go to lots of lands where they don't get any tax exemption, and the churches make it. I even go to Europe where they have state churches, and a part of their uh, taxes goes to that state church. And so if somebody's in a word church, they still have to tax, pay their taxes to uh, you know, the, the state church, but, and they don't get any deduction because they, I don't think, we can make it without it, but you know what it does? It blesses the United States of America. Yes, it does. When the United States of America said, we're going to honor you for giving and paying your tithes, your offerings. Think of it. What a mighty, wonderful government has been established for us. We're going to honor you. We're going to give you a deduction. I think that the one that gets blessed out of it is the United States government. Amen. We're blessing the church. Yeah. We're going to make it without it, but we don't want our voice taken away. That's right. We have freedom of speech, and people have died for it. Uh, in my study of all the awakenings, there's the story of the deaths. There's the story of what they had to give up. Mothers yeah. had to give up sons. Wives had to farm yes, the land. Right. Men had to go to battle. Freedom isn't free, but thank God for freedom. Mm -hmm. I might not agree with what you say, someone said, but I'll die for your right yeah, to Yeah, that's it. right. Praise Bless God. the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that stirring? Doesn't that stir you? Billy and I'll be right back. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And remember, Jesus is Lord.